What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Across the Board podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Adams, here with John Kaufman, and we're here to cover the NFL running back draft class. Yes, lots of big names, a couple of guys you probably never heard of. At the end of the day, hopefully, you got a better understanding of what exactly we're getting with this draft class. We're also going to talk about, are running backs important? Do you pay running back? All of the running back talk that's going around the NFL, we will dive into that a little bit to give some more context. Talk about the combine a bit. John discusses whether you know that should change your view on a player or not. And all of these rankings will be up on atbsports.net soon. We will get them into an article for all of you. But anyway, enjoy. We'll be right back after this break. This podcast is also brought to you by Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is so easy to use. It's simple, it's fast, it's effective. It's the easiest way to distribute your podcast to every major platform and in the quickest way. I've gone through other websites to host podcasts, and it's a pain in the butt. Anchor does it for you. Join Anchor.fm and do your podcast the right way. And if you're looking to start a podcast, contact one of us at ATB Sports, as we're looking for podcasters for nearly every professional sports team right now. If you think you'd be a good fit, you can also apply at our website, www.atbsports.net. And after a short hiatus, we are finally back with some more positional rankings. I'm here to just tell you why John is wrong on every pick. No, <laughs> but we are going to change it up. I... we. We kind of discussed, thought it'd be best if we had one one rank, one person have the rankings and then one person kind of discuss the players. That way we didn't have two different rankings, kind of like bouncing back and forth, throwing you guys off, confusing you. So John's going to have the rankings. I'm going to talk more about that player. We're not going to, this is not a argumentative podcast. We'll talk. We won't, this, we will not agree with everything, but I'm not going to sit up here. We're not going to sit up here and yell like a uh, a guy that's named that rhymes with Flip Hayless. Uh, um, we're we're not going to argue. We will discuss. We will disagree. I know we disagree on a couple things, but yeah, that's what we're going to do. And I just wanted to say real quick, this is not football related. But if you go to Across the Board Sports Network on YouTube, you can find my first NBA prospect breakdown of Lamella ball i'm working on ob Toppin right now of dayton and we'll have that up soon but i just wanted to let you know that without further ado john you ready to get actually john are you ready to talk about john yeah absolutely right. uh, first right. i'm ready to look into changing my name to uh, flip hayless so i that's i like the way that rolls off the tongue that's pretty good so absolutely it, it is kind of a nice name it kind of <laughs> seems like a yeah i don't know if you know what this is but to my younger crowd if there's anyone younger listening to this kind of sounds like something off of the fair the fairy odd parent fair the fairy odd parents fairly odd parents yeah mm-hmm. gosh what a show bring it back netflix <laughs> do something gosh i might i don't know i need a childhood I, this is our million dollar idea john we create a streaming service that just brings back people's childhood memories that's an idea 
you can would, handle you can handle the people born pre nineteen sixty like yourself. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'll handle the well. Speaking of age, wow. I I have my computer set up on my windows in my room, and it is Saint Saint wait fake Patrick's Day up here in Bowling Green, and people have been drinking since four a.m. and yeah, they're not slowing down. There are people doing cartwheels and falling down outside my window right now with a leprechaun hat on. It is fake Patrick's Day? Yeah, because St. Patrick's Day is the biggest holiday in BG. Uh, they start kegs and eggs at 4 in the morning. You go to the bar, you get eggs, and you get kegs. And St. Patrick's Day is on a Tuesday, so it's fake Patrick's Day today. Ah, yeah. gotcha. I drove to the grocery this morning because I'm all I'm super fun. So I went to the grocery at 8 a.m. instead of drinking kegs, <laughs> and I passed four cops. It's a two-minute drive. They're out in full force. Wow. They know. Okay. But yeah, so that's our million-dollar idea. We'll bring back childhood memories. Um, having just, been to uh, having been to Bowling Green a number of times, it's no surprise that their biggest holiday is the one where you drink your head off. So yeah, absolutely. That's, Ho- that's, Halloween's second biggest, but that's because people do the same thing. That makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and yes, the the uh, the streaming service where, like, if you could just like sit down and fire up like you know Voltron cartoon like Thundercats like oh yeah, there'd then, be so many that. Uh, d- mask like there's so many that would just be like oh my god i would sit down and just like spend half a day yeah i'm thinking a good old-fashioned boomerang type network like bring back the flintstones the the jetsons all that good stuff that's that's a little more my my time but yeah yeah no we grew up i mean it's the i mean i was you know i'm 41 so the there's uh, different generations of the flintstones and jet there's they well they were on prime like it was like a prime time show oh, yeah. like you it's know for when stuff. it came out and everything and you know it was Roma. uh <laughs> you know um had what was it fred and wilma sleeping wilma. in what did i say velma good lord that's scooby-doo oh i, I thought you said wilma actually so um, I, I should but just, yeah yeah i said were wilma. they sleeping in like separate beds in the same like i think that was like a big deal at that point like you know like lucy and ricky on the i love lucy show like they you know you couldn't show a married couple sleeping in the same bed so they have separate beds like in their bedroom and stuff it's just like because that's how it works in real life i know it's just so funny what people think like you know this is gonna corrupt america it's like really have you been to america like they're wow all right they got bigger fish to fry than that but i guess whatever we don't want the cartoons uh sleeping in the same bed together so so, but yeah uh, well we'll we'll talk about that streaming service later if anyone steals it it's, uh it's already we already have a patent um <laughs> but anyway you ready to get into these running back rankings after a a very interesting combine actually with yeah timing wise this is great um i mean uh you know obviously the last podcast uh we had on you know my brother um we had coach Tom Kaufman from uh, Kent State University. Um, and, um, you know, the intention was to have him talk about some of the running backs that he coached against and then, you know, give our rankings and stuff. But I'm glad that we decided to do it this way because the combine was not finished, you know, at that when we recorded the last one. Yeah. And now it is. So um, it's nice to have some context with these, um, uh, with some of these numbers. And what will be interesting is that, 
I don't even necessarily, I, I think historical, uh, like combine um, numbers mixed with how a, you know, a prospect does um, in the NFL in the first, you know, few seasons, uh, athleticism, it's bizarre, but it really, like, it doesn't matter so much for running backs. Um, so poor combine showing, like, it, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Um, the uh, Dalvin Cook famously tested, it was like in the 12th percentile, like it was horrible. And I remember when he, you know, was coming out thinking, wow, I, you know, I, he, he sure looked good at Florida State. And, you know, that was a team that even in, you know, the way football is played now, like he, you know, this is what, three years ago. And that team was like, we have to give the ball to Cook like every play because it's our best chance, you know, to come back in games. Like it, he was, instead of having the quarterback, you know, like, which is typical, like, okay, we're down in the fourth quarter. We got to throw, throw, throw. That team was like, no, you have to, we have to give the ball to Dalvin Cook. We got to put the ball in his hands. And, you know, so many times they, you know, they come back and, um, you know, win a game that they looked, you know, dead in the water by halftime, third quarter, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah. And then, so then he goes to the combine and he tests like, you know, just awful. And it's like, wow, weird. But, you know, then you see him, you know, his rookie season, you know, sophomore last year. Um, and you're like, okay, wait, hold on. I, you know, what we saw on tape at Florida state, you know, mattered and way more than, you know, having a slower than, you know, average 40 or three cone shuttle, well, you know, whatever, any of that stuff. So, but, yeah. uh, and another thing that's impressive, um, that we've seen in the past three, four years is that how far science has come that ACL injuries no longer matter. Three of the best running backs in the NFL tore their ACLs in college, Chubb, Gurley, Dalvin cook. It, it just, it's it's amazing. I mean, just think ten years ago, someone tore their ACL as a running back. Is no, they're they were on they were unplayable almost. Yeah, and yeah. The, I mean, we're and not the speed that they get back too is just incredible. Yeah, we're right, and we're not that far removed from um, you know, Adrian Peterson, you know, famously, you know, tearing his ACL in the uh, what's called the NFL late in the year, November, December, whenever that was, and then you know, rushing for, you know, what what did he did he hit two? Thousand? No, what am I? He said two thousand before, right? It was the following year, right? Didn't he? He he got to two thousand the following season, I believe. So I will, I will check. But um... but either I mean, just but you're right. Like it's you know, it used to be like a death sentence basically, and just you know, you're like, oh well, that's that, and then you know, now uh, it's I mean, yeah, it's... he took, he became MVP the following year, which I think he ran for. 2011, yeah. right? 2012, it was uh, yeah, 2012 in Minnesota, 348 carries for 2,097 yards. Okay. So oh, man, 12 I was, touchdowns. I was literally three yards off. How good am I? No. Yeah, that's <laughs> really good. Um, so with that being said, the combine, it it does and doesn't matter. Obviously, like film. Is eighty percent of it personal? No, I wouldn't say eighty percent of it. Personality comes in there too. Like you can be all the talent in the world, like jaw polite last year, and then just find out that you're a terrible prospect because you are not there between the years. But the combine does somewhat matter. So we'll talk somewhat about the combine. But Jonathan Taylor 
had a great combine. That I think the it's weird how you can have a bad combine, and people will kind of brush it off if you're a top prospect, like kind of like a Dalvin Cook, you know. But with Jonathan Taylor, it might boost him up to be drafted higher than he should be because he had a good combine. You know what I'm saying? Like a good combine will just make people salivate. But if you're a good player and you have a bad combine, it almost doesn't affect your draft stock. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the 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 larger point uh, that you're making, and I completely agree with, is that the you know we think of um, the combine as a way to standardize you know these results, right? We get numbers on just about everybody, and then we can you know put them in order and rank them, and you know who who is you know fastest, who is strongest, who is you know all this kind of stuff, right? Um, and you know, it it does provide, um, you know, some substance to the athleticism for, you know, these prospects. Um, mm-hmm. But what's what's weird is that, you know, they're incredibly, it doesn't, you know, having these kind of numbers would suggest that you'd have an objective way to look at them, but they are, it's anything but, right? It's 32, you know, GMs and countless scouts that are incredibly, um, they look at the things in a very um, subjective manner. And, you know, like like you said, it, it moves people up and down boards, draft boards, when it probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did we need to see, like Jonathan Taylor, you know, you watched him for the last two seasons and you're, you're like, this guy's very good at football. And mm-hmm. having him run a 4-3-9, I mean, that – what does that change? Like you knew he was fast. You knew he was good, right? Like I will say that I did not think he was that fast. Okay, so that's now that's a good point, right? Like that But also I think Wisconsin plays very slow, which doesn't didn't help him. I think him not running the 40 would have drastically changed his draft stock. Which I think I you might it might sound crazy, but when you watch Wisconsin, he always had a lead blocker. They just beat the shit out of you and then he gets a breakaway run. But it's like you watch someone like J.K. Dobbins, and you can see his breakaway speed so much more often because of how spread out Ohio State is. He doesn't have a lead blocker to hide behind. I, I think running a four three nine was big for Jonathan Taylor. But you're right. If you watched, if you watched, you know these running backs, he's the most talented running the ball, in my opinion. And I, I think the basically my point is, if Jonathan Taylor had run a four. Uh, I don't know, a four four nine at the combine. Like that tenth of a second, like it, what I'm saying is it for me, it doesn't change anything. You know, I, I don't have a new opinion of him. Suddenly he's slow or fast or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, it's nice to have context and see him run a 40, but, you know, like you said, 80% of it is tape and we've seen him, you know, produce consistently, yeah. you know, so, <laughs> right. So I, it, it what I'm saying, like, you're right. If he runs a four, three, nine, there probably are a few GMs that are like, okay, maybe I would consider taking him in the first round now when I wouldn't have. And that's the kind of evaluation that I think is really dangerous. Um, because again, I don't, I, I, these, this shouldn't change your opinion. Really. Um, we talked about this last time. Uh, well, we talked about it a couple times with these positional, um, rankings that we're doing, but, you know, they, these combine numbers, like they're, they're really just about, you know, thresholds, um, you know, and the, for running backs, the, 
you know, a 4740, you know, anything below 47 is when you need to start being like nervous um, because that's not, you know, that's detrimental to a running back's ability to, you know, do basically everything right in the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. And there isn't a great correlation of running backs that are, you know, four, seven and slower that have tons of success. Um, but, you know, above four, seven, you know, it, it, like I said, it, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's a lot less, you don't need to be concerned, right? The difference between a four, six, five and a four, three, eight, like they're, there's no the four three eight guy is not guaranteed to succeed and the four six five guy is not guaranteed you know to be awful um, you know it's like I said four seven is the number and if you're under that then you know there are things that matter much much more vision patience uh, running style landing spot um, you know obviously draft capital is basically the most important thing um, for running backs so you know. Um, Last year, this is a perfect example. We watched um, the Raiders take Josh Jacobs from Alabama in the first round. And, you know, Jacobs had, I mean, arguably wasn't the best running back on his, on his own college team. Um, you know, had never had a season of like over 600 yards or 700 yards, whatever it was. I mean, there, you just didn't know like anything about him. Like it was, it's really tough to make an evaluation on a guy like that that you really just haven't seen used, you know, in, in, uh, on his college team. And then the Raiders take him in the first round and they're just telling you, we are going to give this guy the ball a ton. So now all of those concerns, you know, if there were athleticism concerns, speed concerns, college production, any of that stuff, they have to go away because the Raiders are just, they're, they're saying it, they're put, they're slapping, you know, a bumper sticker on the car saying, we're going to give this guy the ball a ton. So, you know, draft capital matters you know, possibly more than anything. So, um, so that's, you know, that's one interesting thing. It's nice to talk about these guys, obviously before the draft and come up with, uh, rankings and consensus and, you know, players we like, uh, or dislike above or below, you know, the average. Um, but, you know, landing spot is going to change everything. Um, and so, you know, you might have the, the guy we like, you know, as number one or number two, go to a team that's, you know, he's, in a stuck in a quagmire, right? There's a couple other guys on that roster and it's like, Oh, okay. Well that changes things. And maybe the guy we have ranked fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever lands in, you know, Tampa Bay or something where you're like, okay, they, there's no one else. That team has been dying to have a running back. And so, you know, that's going to matter. So, but, um, but yeah, so like we said, I mean, just, you know, the, the combines, it's good. Uh, It provides context with a lot of things, but you know, I, I just don't think that it should really shift you know, um, whatever ranking you had the day before the combine, you basically should have the same thing the day after, um, maybe tweaks here, there little things, but, uh, but yeah, it really shouldn't change, you know, too, too much about the way we see these players. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, so who do you have first on your list? So first off, Jonathan Taylor, we just mentioned, um, the, uh, what's it called? And, and again, I'm going to give the combine results as well with all these players, but, you know, not as a, not as a argument, you know, for why, I mean, it's part of their evaluation, but, um, but yeah, just to provide context and things. So you, you know, listeners don't have to look everything up while we're talking. Um, so Jonathan Taylor, 5'10", 226, ran a 4'3", 40 and a 7.01, um, three cone. 
which uh, right around seven seconds is, you know, where you kind of want to be with that. So that's, uh, that's a really solid time. And again, uh, you know, it's about thresholds. Um, you know, yeah, if someone turn... his size usually doesn't run the three cone anyway. Right. Right. 26. Right. You don't want to like, maybe I think he maybe should have left that one out, but like, because there are scouts out there that for some reason use the combine as their basis to draft, but yeah, super impressive numbers. The most impressive running back at the combine. Um, in, incredible. I mean, to a four three nine at two twenty six is unbelievable. Yeah, um, I still think the most impressive thing though was his thirty one inch his thirty one inch arms. That is incredible. Yeah, that that'll correlate very well to the long arms. Longer arms correlate to the NFL and being able to break tackles because stiff arm is such a huge part of today's NFL because. You know, as a run as a runner, you can't get a face mask call. Where at, like you can do the same thing the defense does. Defense gets called for it. You don't. It's mm-hmm. a huge uh, advantage. And the number one correlating factor. This is probably of no surprise, but it's not even close. The number one correlating factor of a college running back becoming a good nfl running back is john i'm gonna let you try to guess you might already know but do you know what this this the stat or the factor is that correlates okay so um you're saying something some attribute stat whatever about a college player that correlates into success at the nfl level Yep. so Mm -hmm. i read um uh, rotoviz is the website that put together like a, a running back draft profile um this was like a couple years ago and they talked about things that correlate really high with, you know, success. Um, so the 40 time was up there, weight, and then final season statistics, uh, as far as rushing goes. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I guess the, those, I mean, the, yeah, three. those all do correlate very heavily. But I, you're talking I about something different. I was being specific. I'll just let you know what it is. Yeah, go ahead. So what do you got? Specifically the stat that, attributes the most to correlation to being great in the NFL so far is broken tackles because your elusiveness is something that if you have it, you have it. Like that's not something that you can be taught really. It's kind of like, you know, being a natural born passer in basketball. You can't be taught to have vision. It's the same in the NFL. You can't be taught to have Le'Veon Bell sitting behind being patient vision Jonathan Taylor if you watched him the first thing you realize is how patient he is like I just told you before this show John like Wisconsin runs a slow paced beat the hell out of you game where he has a lot of lead blockers which I'll I'll get I guess I'll say the two things that worry me about Jonathan Taylor now one is that if he doesn't go to a you know a system like the 49ers or what the Browns are going to do or what the Vikings did last year with a lead blocker, it it worries me a little bit thinking, you know, he's used to that. I don't think it will make him a bad player. It's just there will be a transition period, and then whether or not that affects him mentally, you know, if he starts off bad because when was the last time Jonathan Taylor wasn't one of the best at what he was doing? So that worries me. That doesn't make him – not the best running. I think he is the best running back in this class. And two, he dropped 16% of his passes, his, his 
um, passes thrown to him last year, which is very, very bad. So as of right now, he's not a three-down running back. However, coming into the draft, like every year there are running backs that come into the draft that aren't three-down backs. So that's not something that cannot be corrected. That is being a good receiving running back is something that can be taught. It can be enhanced by coaching, like your coaching, the play calls, your quarterback has a lot to play with that. And, you know, running backs are a team. The running backs, if you're a good running back, the odds of you going to a good team are usually better because running backs are late first round usually. I still don't think running backs should be picked in the first round, but I don't know about you, John. I would say that Jonathan Taylor would probably be looked at at the end of the first round. It's just something that teams do. For sure. Um, I do not think that's worth it at all. I thought Nick Chubb at the beginning of the second was a reach. Obviously, he's a great player, and it wasn't, but we'll t- we'll talk about this in a minute. Running backs are and are not important, in my opinion. But the other the, on the other side, Jonathan Taylor was obviously a great runner. He obviously can take the workload. Um, I don't, you know, running back slides are so short. You should not look at the long-term success of a running back. In my opinion, if you draft a running back, you're drafting him for that four to five year period. You cannot re-sign good running backs. It will, it tears your team apart. No running back has ever won the Super Bowl for a team in the modern era. So I guess we'll kind of get to that point now, John, if you want to talk, do you want to talk about the running backs are important right now? Or do you want to do that? Later. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, the we do got to keep it a little short though because we got to get through all these positions. But yeah, definitely. Um, the you know the the conversation the 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 talking point that gets brought up from time to time, especially now, is you know do running backs matter? Um, and you know what? So you said you hinted at it. You know, it's it's a yes and no answer. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you think? Why? Uh... So running backs. No running back will win you the Super Bowl. However, if you look at the Super Bowl teams of the past, you know, I don't know how long, outside of the Chiefs, and you can argue the Eagles. I can't even remember who the Eagles running back was that year. Um, when um, when they won. Oh, well, they had a couple um... – What's called? They use the big time committee, but they had um, Smallwood is one of the. Yeah, okay. So they didn't have a running back. So outside of the Chiefs and the Eagles, most teams that have won the Super Bowl have had a go to running back. Well, you might think the Patriots haven't, but James White, just because he's not a runner, doesn't mean he wasn't a huge part of that offense. I you could argue, outside of Gronk, James White was maybe the most integral part of that offense uh, Tom Brady aside that doesn't count quarterbacks the most integral part of any sports uh, of any sport ever but so you know I have a list here this is gonna I'm just I I'm just reading this at the time but the Patriots last year obviously had James White um let's see Patriots when they beat the Falcons had James White the Broncos Peyton Manning was absolutely masterful that year. Patriots again. It, it, I'm not making any sense of this. But, like, you go down the list and all these teams, most of these teams had a good running back on their roster or an above um, average running back on their roster. So I think running back is important. 
but you can't treat running back like it's going to win you the Super Bowl. You have the on the positional value list, running back is so far down because you can mask a bad running back, but you can't mask a bad quarterback, bad wide receiver play, bad O line play. You can get away with more subpar running back play. But depending on your system, if you're the 49ers, running back is super important. If you're the Seahawks, for whatever damn reason, they're not an air raid offense beyond me. But their system relies on a running back being able to play well. Those are, t- those are just two examples off the top of my head. So running back is important. It is an important position, obviously. However, you cannot go into a draft, go into free agency, thinking we need to go get a running back. If one falls to you and the value is good, that's great. You should never waste a first-round pick on a court, on a running back ever. And I don't think you should ever, ever, ever pay a running back unless you get an Austin Eckler deal. The Chargers did absolutely fantastic in that. I think he's making around eight million a year or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's absolutely fine. But these running backs, you cannot pay for that second, the second contract of a running back. They have performed so poorly. Aside from whatever the hell Adrian Peterson's doing right now, he's still getting it done. I don't really understand that, but so I know I didn't give an exact answer, but I will. I do stand on the side of never pay a running back the second contract, never draft him in the first round. I don't. I don't think it's ever worth it. I think the Saquon Barkley pick is one of the worst picks in NFL draft history, outside of Trent Richardson, which was the absolute worst. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, really bad. Yeah, and uh, um, I mean, obviously, you know, 2012 was a it's only eight years ago, but it's a very different time. Um, you know, the NFL was just getting into, um, you know, a, a much more pass-heavy, you know, pass-friendly offenses, things like that. So, um, so you could see it wasn't crazy to take a running back, you know, third. Um, I mean, obviously, it just wasn't, you know, he wasn't a very good running back, but um, but the idea, the concept of taking one there wasn't so you know insane like when the giants did with saquon barkley um you know and i I think the that's a really good example um of why you know i i I agree with you basically running backs do and don't matter um you know having a guy like barkley on your team is obviously you know provides value i mean um there's you know he could be on the field on every down um he's incredibly you know, the defense, you have to pay attention. You have to know, you know, where he is at all times because he can just, you know, not only is he, you know, can he touch the ball 30 times a game, but any one of those can be, you know, home run, um, you know, breakaway touchdown. So he really can kill you, you know, on any play. But, you know, the, like what you sacrifice, um, you know, having a guy like that versus, you know, having a quarterback that like, if you have a great running back, but you don't have a quarterback, it it doesn't matter. You cannot, that's not a formula to win in the NFL. Um, And when it comes, you know, with the argument, do running backs matter? Like, I think that, you know, most NFL teams, whether they believe it or not, will like, they tell us through evidence that running backs don't matter because you know, if you're down 14 in the fourth quarter, you know, what, what's the game plan? Like, what is every offensive coordinator doing? They're calling pass after pass after pass, right? So, like, 
if the Giants are down, you know, 14 in the fourth quarter and they start calling, you know, throws because, you know, they have to a move the ball down the field faster and, um, you know, dealing with the issue of stopping the clock, other things like that. Like you're the team itself is telling everybody that we can't we have to take the ball out of Saquon Barkley's hands now because we have to make up 14 points and we don't have a lot of time to do it. And so, you know, they're telling you, like, if running back really mattered, why wouldn't they give the ball to Barkley on every play? You know, because they can't like it's not you know, that's not it's not an efficient way to come back. It's not fast. It's not, you know, um, it, you know, it, it, it's like that. I don't know. The, that's the point, right? Like the um, what's called the teams themselves are saying, like, look, it, running backs matter, but gosh, we need to score, you know, a bunch of points real fast. You know, we can't we can't waste time running the ball. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, so that I mean, that that in and of itself is one of the reasons why, you know, it's it's like I, you know, spending the second overall pick in the NFL draft on a running back is just insane. Um mm-hmm. The Giants have been bad for the past two years. Um, you know, Barkley's rookie season, you know, statistically was very good, but they were a terrible team. Last year, you know, he had the high ankle sprain, things like that. Um, but still a bad team. So, you know, if they suddenly drafted a, you know, if they had a a real quarterback, if, you know, they ended up with, you know, Kyler Murray or something, Lamar Jackson, you know, whatever, um, you know, that it's arguable that they'd be a much better team. And so you know, that part of the argument is, you know, over. Um, I mean, it's just, it's tough, but, and then the other thing, the other side of it, like you said, when you, when it comes time to, you know, sign these guys after their rookie deals over, you know, Ezekiel Elliott signed his six year, $90 million contract. And, you know, now the, um, the Cowboys are trying to figure out what to do with Dak Prescott. And it's like that, that's insane that there's an organization in 2020 who couldn't wait to give almost a hundred million dollars to a running back. And now is like, what do we do with this pretty solid quarterback that we have, you know, and I'm not saying Dak is, you know, phenomenal or the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he's, you know, um, he's been okay. You know, he's, he's had really, really good, you know, stretches and some pretty poor ones as well. I don't think he's somebody that's going to, you know, he hasn't really, he didn't really elevate uh, the talent around him, you know, before they had Cooper and, you know, before Michael Gallup had a really good season last year. Um, so when he had to play with subpar, you know, a subpar roster, he was subpar himself. Um, mm-hmm. But surrounding him with good players, things like that, I mean, obviously, you know, he's he's shown, you know, flashes of really very good moments um, and stretches of games. So, but they, like, you, you know, with the salary cap league, you, you like, giving $90 million to a running back is just ludicrous. Um you know, if you didn't have Dak on the roster, maybe I could understand it, right? If you were just dreadful at the quarterback position, I don't know, maybe I could, but it's just, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense whatsoever. So, yeah. So yeah, running back. And then I think the third thing is we've seen tons of times where, um, you know, the, uh, CJ Anderson, um, steps into, you know, a, a, a highlight role at the end of the season three years ago, um, and, uh, produces like just fine. You know, and this is a guy that was left for dead, wasn't even, you know, he's sitting on a couch in November and in December, you know, an NFL team's like, hey, we need uh, running back help. You know, and he walks in and he's just fine. Like, you don't miss a beat. So, you know, I just, I can't imagine, I mean, no one's calling, you know, a quarterback that's on the couch in November 
and that guy walks in and, you know, I guess the closest thing is Nick Foles, you know, winning the Super Bowl with the Eagles, but, mm-hmm. but he's not, you know, he was an NFL quarterback. He was on the roster already. He had shown, you know, he had a really good season with, um, when Chip Kelly was there, you know, so this guy, this is a guy that at least displayed talent. Like CJ Anderson was a, a mediocre at best running back forever. And if you put him in the right situation, you know, good blocking scheme, good offense, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, running backs matter to the extent that they don't cripple your salary cap um, and that you're not falling all over yourself, you know, to get like to try to get a guy on your roster that, you know, when push comes to shove and if you, you know, you need to get the ball, uh, you know, up and down the field quickly, this guy is, you know, inherently not part of a game plan, you know, like that kind of stuff, you know, that's what makes running back not, um, you know, that important or whatever, but but the bottom line is, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a yes and no answer, like you said, and you know, I just um, a little bit of both, that's for sure. So, but I know it's kind of weird. It's it, you know, it's not necessarily falling on uh, what's it called, um, yeah, on one side of the coin or the other. But it really, I mean, it's it is like everything. It's more nuanced than that. You know, there's no black and white answer with anything. So, and I think this is another case of that. Yeah, I agree. With all of that being said about how running backs at the end of the day probably aren't that important. Who do you have as the second least important player on your list? <laughs> so um, I have J.K. Dobbins here. Um, and the uh, um, from Ohio State, Dobbins is 5'9", 210. He did not run the 40 or he, he didn't basically do any testing at the um, at the combine. Um, so the – and that's, that's a little strange for sure. Um, that was unexpected. But uh, the, um, the bottom line for me is, is production. So, you know, this is a guy we saw, you know, all that season the year before, um, you know, showed up, that's for sure. And last year, actually, oddly enough, uh, Dobbins and Taylor ran for 2,003 yards, um, both of them, I, the same exact amount, uh, which is kind of crazy. But, um, yeah, so Dobbins had 301 carries, 2,003 yards. Uh, that's a 6.7 average, 21 touchdowns, um, added two more in the receiving game, 23 receptions, which is nice. Um, to see because the uh, that's another thing that um, can correlate pretty well with NFL success is the um, the number of receptions in your final season, which it's not even the number that really matters. It's more the fact that like if if your offensive coordinator, yes, exactly, if they're calling plays for you, you know, um, yeah, th- they want to get the ball in your hands in as many ways as possible, and so obviously you must, you know, you're probably a really good player. So, but. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, so for me, the production um, really mattered and just seeing it over and over again, breakaway speed and the ability to um, really just just do everything, a little bit of everything. So he's a really impressive player. Um, he's and, got stupid good vision. Yeah. Yeah. Really, I, good, I, really good at reading what the defense is actually giving him, which you wonder how much of that is because of, you know, how good Justin Fields is. But he he did it with. He's done it, you know, three, two, he's done it two years at this level in a row, uh, for sure. And the only thing that I do not like about J.K. Dobbins, and people on Twitter well know that I don't think J.K. Dobbins is the best running back in this class. He, when he runs through holes, he's standing straight up. I don't know, I don't honestly know. I'm not a football coach. I don't know if an NFL running back coach would be able to, to fix that but 
you'll watch all these running backs run through a hole. J.K. Dobbins is standing straight up, and it drives me nuts because, yeah, I don't. You're not gonna be able to break arm tackles at the next level. But, I mean, if that is the only negative thing I have to say about him, that's pretty damn good. Good. That pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, I mean, breakaway speed, he has it. Vision, he has it. Ability to be out there on third down, he has it. He checks all the three marks. Yeah. And he's stronger than hell. 23 yeah. bench reps. Yeah. Yeah, it's strong guy. Um, vision and feet are incredible. And that's, you know, that's, to me, you see the production, you see the numbers on, on the page, and it's like, okay, that's very good, obviously, but but why, you know, how does he, how did he get to those numbers? And it's because of things like vision and feet. And that's, as you said in the beginning, you know, those are things that you're not, you can't teach like a guy has it or he doesn't. And Dobbins has it. So he's number two for me, for sure. He does. And him running away from, uh, I, I want to, I don't know. I do not remember the play exactly, but I am almost for certain that he ran away from Isaiah Simmons again in that Clemson game on one of his breakaway runs. And I was mind blown because yeah. Isaiah Simmons obviously has four three nine speed. Oh, oh however, Isaiah Simmons, uh, J.K. came at him with a full head of steam and already in a run. But Isaiah Simmons is one of the most talented prospects in this class. But who do you have as your number three? So number three, I have DeAndre Swift um, from Georgia, and mm. this is a player that. Um, uh, this is tough for me um, because, you know, everywhere you look, um, other people's rankings and things like that, you know, he's quite often he's the number one running back in this class. Um, and I don't I don't get it. Me neither. Um, I, I don't I wouldn't even have him at third, but go on. Sorry. OK, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. Like, that's that's good. Um, and actually, if you could elaborate on that in a minute, that'd be great. So, um, OK, so Swift is five foot eight two twelve um he ran a four four eight uh forty at the combine um did not do the uh um what's called the three cone so but i guess so you know you look back at his last season and you know under 200 carries uh 1218 yards the uh, seven rushing touchdowns um you know 24 receptions which is nice and that's one of the things for me that keeps him, um, you know, I, I guess if he ended up at fourth or fifth on my rankings, you know, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to me, but the receptions is definitely something that I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, that's a really nice skill set to have. Um, and at his size and everything like that, like he's over the 210 pound, you know, sort of threshold. So, um, this guy's definitely a weapon. And then of course he, you know, ran a four, four, eight, which was nice to see as well, but we already knew he was, you know, pretty fast. Um, but like, there's there's a ton of games last year, you know, where you're just looking at the box score, going like, I don't. Th this is the best running back in the class. Like nine carries for 76 yards against Arkansas State, 17 for 72 against Tennessee, uh, 25 for 86 yards against Florida, and Florida had a really good defense. So, like, they're, they're just moments where you're just like, I don't. You know, yeah. like Dobbins and Taylor don't have any of those, right? Like every game is just like, oh my God, he ran for 340 yards, you know, like crazy, crazy stuff. And to me, um, you know, I just didn't, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't see it. Um, yeah, I, the, I, I think 
for well, first of all, I think the best running back in the class didn't even declare for the draft. Travis Etienne is already the best player and already the best running back of the 2021 draft. Oh, I thought <laughs> you were going to say I thought you were going to say Chuba for sure. Uh, that yeah, him too. He'll, yeah, I like he'll him have a lot the, too. He'll have the Jonathan Taylor the workload argument, but whatever. Yeah. Um, with DeAndre Swift, it he I just I didn't see it. I think he'll be I think he can be a great third down back in the NFL, but I don't see him going out there, you know, all three downs, making a huge impact on your team. I can see him in a James White type role, but that's that's all I really see out of him. I just didn't see it, and he disappeared in games where he should have went off for 200. Um, you know, in in Georgia's biggest games, you know, they did rely on him, you know, heavily. Obviously, they were uh, this is a guy they wanted to try to get the ball, you know, in, in his his hands and everything. So, but um, injuries too. That's another thing. Like, you know, the last two games of the year against LSU and Baylor, you know, two carries for 13 yards against um, LSU and one carry for two yards against Baylor. So, you know, I mean, everybody injuries pop up and you know i'm not saying we're dinging this guy necessarily for that but but the bottom line is i i just i think that jonathan taylor and jk dobbins's uh production their overall profile it just it's way better and so i don't understand you know why people are like yeah but swift is the best running back but it's like he well a he wasn't the best running back in college because taylor and dobbins were just flat out better um, mm-hmm. and their size speed profiles is a little bit better as well. Yeah. So I'm size. just a little baffled, but, but like I said, the production in the receiving department, you know, definitely helps. And then the, the last thing I'll say is this, like, like we said before, you know, draft capital where your landing spot matters more than anything. If Swift is taken, you know, in the second round, let's see, he's the first running back off the board and like Tampa Bay takes him. He's, he probably would end up being the number one running back. Uh, like if you're in like a rookie draft and you know, you have to like, you have to take like that landing spot would be so good. It almost wouldn't matter where anybody else, you know, like so that I can't even think of another, like if Jonathan Taylor ended up on, I don't know, what's a good, um, like what's a good, like besides Tampa, what would be another really like, you know, for, for Deandre Swift, the Kansas like, okay, City so, Chiefs are the first place to come to mind for me. All right, so like, yeah, let's say Swift ends up with Tampa, right, and then Jonathan Taylor ends up on the Chiefs. Oh like, my god! You, oh but Damian god. Williams is still there. You know, like they still have you know well, some Jonathan other players. Jonathan Taylor's never ran against a not eight people in the box defense. He never ran. Like, go back and watch every Wisconsin game. The, I can't remember their quarterback's name, but the. So goofy looking. My God, he's so goofy looking. Uh, yeah. Just make him beat you. Jonathan Taylor had eight people in the box almost all the time. I mean, every single team was set out to say, let's let's stop Jonathan Taylor. And they still weren't able to. So him on the Chiefs would be amazing, by the way. Right. But well, I think Tampa, um, Bruce Arians would be able to use him, you know, very well. We saw – he was able to use David Johnson really well. That was, then, that was the other spot too. I was going to say um, what's called if Jonathan Taylor ended up on uh, Arizona. Oh my! And God. then Swift Any was team with that Tampa. The ball out. That those like that would be like okay. Now we really have to figure out like who you'd rather have. Like if you were doing like a fantasy draft or whatever, um, because those two landing spots would be so prime. That would be phenomenal. But but other than that, 
you know, like it's much more likely that Taylor ends up, you know, maybe somewhere, like we said, where there's more competition and Swift, you know, if he, if Tampa Bay drafts him, then, you know, just, he moves up to number one, because like we said with, you know, Josh Jacobs, like when the team tells you they're going to give that guy the ball, like they're not lying. And so that has to matter more than just basically anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, who, so yeah, Swift was your third. Who do you have at four? So number four, um, I have uh, Cam Akers um, from Florida State. Talk and about a good combine. Yeah, I love this. I really like this guy a lot. Um, so yeah, Akers, uh, Florida State, 5'10", 217, ran a 44740, did not run the three cone. Um, so the um, Akers' issue basically was team specific, was Florida State. Uh, that team was a mess. Um, and so, you know, I don't think he really shined, um, you know, in the national spotlight, like a lot of these other guys did because they're on teams that are, you know, um, competing for, you know, national championships and, you know, um, conference crowns, stuff like that. Like Florida state was just a disaster. Obviously he had to pick, he, I'm reading this, this, that 3.9 of his 4.9 yards per carry were after contact. So he got an average of one yard before contact. Yeah, Man, talk about a battle line. I, that's incredible, right? And and in the ACC, I mean, obviously, you know, Clemson, but then the rest of, I mean, there's, you know, there's not a ton of. There's not. Like you get not North Carolina, North Carolina State, lineman. right? Like, there's a lot of games where you should be. Even Clemson's defensive linemen weren't what Clemson's usually are. Uh, yeah, Which actually, is, that's a really good point. It's, considering last year, it's hard to say. Like, Clemson's defensive line still top tier, and but you say they aren't good because dished out three first round picks last year but right they were all universe the year yeah. before so I, exactly. with cam Akers again he's got the long arms which i forgot to say swift does not have the long arms but yep Good uh, point. you know Akers has the long arms but just like taylor he has a serious drop problem uh dropped five of his 35 catchable passes this season which you know it doesn't seem that much but as a running back you should ideally drop no passes. I mean, you are not getting any pass that, you know, a 15-year-old JV player couldn't make. And that's something that I forgot to touch on with Swift is that he was able to line up, you know, as a wide receiver and still didn't have drop problems. So that's a huge part right. of this game. But, you know, with Akers, the yards after contact is big, and his size is amazing. And you – have to take into the fact that he played behind a bad offensive line. But I watched – I think I only watched two Florida State games live. And the thing I noticed was, like, you watch J.K. Dobbins, which I would say is the top in this class in vision, and he would find the holes. Uh, no, if there was a hole, he would find it. There were holes that Akers wouldn't find. I, I can't remember what game it was specifically, but it was only week three or four. Uh, and I was watching it and I just kept thinking, you know, he can't, he cannot find the hole. Uh, but you know, I thought this is only week three or four. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, the new, the new, new season. You got to get used to your team. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then I went back and watched the last game of the year and he still had some issues with it, but my God, talk about just if he can get in the right you know, he can get in the right system. He has a good running back coach. 
that can help him, you know, improve his vision. You can't, if you have, if you don't have great vision, you can't ever have great vision. I think that's just something you are born with. That's my opinion. But if he can get in the right system, he has, he is probably one of the freakiest athletes of running back in this class, in my opinion, just, just watching him. It's, it's, it's different. It's like watching, you know, if you watch the Giannis first LeBron, like you watch those two and they're just, they're different. They're way different than everyone else on the court. Uh, Cam Akers is different than everyone else on the field for sure. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Um, he was, uh, so 231 carries last year, 1144 yards. That's five yards of carry 14 touchdowns, um, had 30 receptions, um, another four touchdowns through the air. So, you know, and to me, like he's similar to Jonathan Taylor um, in that those two stand out because of the blend of uh, size and speed. So like Akers, uh, Akers can put a move on you. Akers can juke you. uh, And then he can also run right through you. I mean, this guy is powerful um, while also being really shifty and just a nightmare to tackle in the open field. So, um, you know, he, he did a lot of work, obviously, like we said, with a bad offensive line at Florida State. And, uh, you know, I he still shined, I think. So, you know, this guy's really impressive. This is another one, like if this guy ends up, you know, in like Tampa Bay or something, um, I mean, this that would just be like a phenomenal landing spot and just wheels up on this guy because yep. I don't think there's anything really he can't do. Um, and uh, to your point about vision, you know, it's – it's tough. It's tough to get an analysis of, you know, a running back's vision if, you know, when the offensive line is that bad um, because they're just, you know, they're not making holes. Right. And like, so you can't even test and see, you know, is this guy, is does he see where the play is supposed to go? Uh, if not, does he bounce it because, you know, of vision or because he felt pressure or because, you know, whatever reason, um, you know, that's, it's really tough to even get an analysis. So if you want to say that his vision is in question, I, I agree um, for, you know, the reason that it's not necessarily his fault. Um, but it's fair to say we don't necessarily know because we didn't get to see him run, um, you know, behind a real competent line. So, mm-hmm. so that, that could be an issue, but I would definitely take the chance on this guy um, yeah, ending up being, you know, even, I don't want to say maybe the, the best, you know, running back from this class, but he's, I mean, slammed in the top four. And if he ends up with a better career than DeAndre Swift, that won't surprise me in the least. Even Dobbins, really, um, that wouldn't surprise me in the least. But, yeah, uh, but yeah Akers, I like Akers a lot. He's really, really uh, solid player. And, uh, yeah, so he's number four. Yeah, he's really special. Um, so who do you have at number five? So number five, uh, this is another one where um, the – you know, the, what I saw on, on tape on the field mattered a lot more than, you know, basically anything else. So I have Clyde Edwards Alaire at number five. Um, okay. now he's, uh, so played at LSU, uh, five foot seven, 207 pounds, uh, ran a four, six flat 40, um, and did not run the three cone. So Edwards Hilaire, uh, very famously, you know, was, um, dealing with that hamstring issue heading into the, uh, the college football playoff last year. Uh, this past season. And so, you know, will he play? Won't he play? What's going to happen? Um, you know, and the, the concern on, you know, with LSU was like, what, if he doesn't play, like, that's a problem. Cause this guy is really important to, you know, uh, their offense. Um, and so, and I think that really showed like, 
all throughout the year. Um, so the uh, Edwards, I mean, so 215 carries last year, 1,414 yards. That's a 6.6 .6 average, 16 touchdowns, 55 receptions for 453 receiving yards uh, and another receiving touchdown. So 55 catches. I mean, granted, that offense was super explosive and everything, but, um, you know, on a he played on the team with Joe Burrow, who had basically, you know, the best collegiate quarterback season of all time. And this guy still, you know, had 200 carries, over 200 carries for 1,400 yards. Um, I mean, no kidding he was important. I mean, 55 receptions in college is amazing. That's, that's an incredible number. So to me... You know, this guy is uh, special just because of his skill set, what he can do, and the fact that he um, he's going to be on the field on every down. I mean, he's, he's never a liability. You don't ever have to worry about, um, you know, any of that. He's obviously small, compact at 5'7", but I think – but his frame looks thick, man. And I don't – I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up uh, with, like, a playing weight of, like, 215, you know, 218 or something like that in the NFL. Um, a 4'6", flat 40 is not – concerning at all don't care it's under that four seven threshold so no big yeah, deal his at that size he's not his goal is not to beat you with speed it's his ability to get low and make agile cuts against linebackers is what he's going to feed off of in the nfl yeah very very good point um so yeah i mean just traits that are you know really impressive as far as uh you know balance goes vision feet quickness like ev everything that you wanted to um, that you wanted to have and, you know, really balled out on a very, very good offense. Um, so, you know, the, um, like you said, the speed is not, it's not breakaway speed, but I, it doesn't, I don't care. Like this guy, you know, this is a grind you down, demoralize your defense running back uh, that, you know, it ends up on the right roster and he really could make, you know, a huge impact right from the get-go in the NFL. So, um, I love, I really like Edward Solaire a lot. So number five for me, for sure. Yeah, I I don't have anything to really disagree with. Um, the only thing that worries you is how much of it was because LSU was able to air the ball out with Joe Burrow that, you know, how much easier did that make the game for him? But his ability, if he gets, you know, on a team that will utilize him in the passing game, you know, there's still... 20 NFL teams that refuse to go with the new linebacker, the smaller agile linebacker. They want the old bruisers and uh, you know, he's, he'll, he will feast on anyone that has heavy feet in the NFL at any level, even safeties and cornerbacks for that matter. He's so quick. He's so small and compact that he can just, his, his lateral agility is just going to be able to impress the hell out of people. I don't yep. think, in the NFL, he will ever have some awesome breakaway run. But, you know, think like Danny Woodhead, James White, just being able to get that stupid five-yard play when the play broke down, a little five-yard pass from Phil or Tom, and that just, like you said, just gonna he's going to ruin defense's lives. Just annoying little things that keep a game moving that don't ever get, you know, praised on a stat sheet yep uh, so at six you have someone that i i highly disagree with and i'm gonna really like talking about this one yeah we need to talk about zach moss from utah yep um so 
Moss is uh, 5'9", 223, ran a 4'6", did not run the three cone. Um, had, uh, let's see, let me pull up his stats from last year. 235 carries, four, 1,416 yards, that's six uh, yards even per carry. 15 touchdowns, added 28 receptions for 388 yards and two more receiving scores. So 17 touchdowns total. Um, mm -hmm. He is... And this really, the discussion here is the when when people push back against analytics. Okay, when somebody brings up something like, you know, uh, yeah, we, you know, analytics likes Zach Moss, um, and Pro Football Focus has him as the number one running back prospect in this draft, uh, in this class. So this is where people's minds, you know, where your head explodes when you're like. Okay, if analytics has Zach Moss number one, and then I watch film and I see Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins and, you know, all these other guys, and they just, you know, they, they look, statistically, they were much better. They look better. They're faster. What what the hell is, you know, what is happening? Like, th when people want to push back against analytics, this is the argument right here. You know, Zach Moss being number one in pro football focus, and then almost everybody else having, you know, Swift or Taylor or somebody else. So can you talk? Yeah, please. It, it, like what, what is it about Zach Moss that pro football focus likes? And also you, what do you, you know, what does Chandler Adams think of Zach Moss? Yeah. So one, I've watched, I watched a lot of Utah. Um, I, I stay up way too late on the weekends, you know, so PAC 12 is something that I watch a lot. And I, I want to say a few things. One, I think there's this, idea out there that pff doesn't watch film like yeah i think you would agree with this most people think analytics and most people think they just look at the stats that like that kind of thing right um, like they're just plugging numbers into some yeah. model and it spits out and it just spits yeah. out tape when, that says zach moss is number one when we have uh we've but had, that's not true we've had brendan leister on the show multiple times and you know they rewatch the game more than they I mean, they'll rewatch a game four or five times. They have four or five different people watch it. Um, two, the other thing, since PFF's been around, they have the best track record at being able to kind of guess what people will translate into the NFL the best. Not saying they're not always right. Uh, and people will say, well, you know, they gave Cody Kessler. This is one of the biggest arguments. They gave Cody Kessler a 90 overall grade. And his senior year in college. And then they also said he was a six-round pick. So I do want to throw that out there. I should have just worked for PFF. But, <laughs> it's, God, I feel like I'm always defending them. But the Zach Moss being number one overall thing. I will. I do not work for PFF, obviously. But I use them as a huge tool as to how I watch football. I take it that the reason they have him as the number one prospect, they aren't saying he's the best running back in college football. Okay. But like I said earlier, broken tackles so far have been the most, you know, the the factor that has translated the best to the NFL. And he had the third most broken tackles recorded since they started doing this. Um, also, he, he's able to catch the ball, which is huge in the NFL, the way it's yep. going. Yep. He has, you know, he's 5'10", 222, so he has this size. He didn't have the exact 40 speed you would want. Uh, 
but you knew like this is a yeah, perfect example not, right you knew he wasn't going to be a burner no no right he beat you with his uh, he beat you with his eyes and his ability to break tackles which comes from one is elusiveness he's he's pretty quick he's not fast he's quick and two just like jonathan taylor the dude's got tree trunks for arms i think he's he had like 30 31 somewhere around there uh, yeah, i can check real quick zach moss had 31 and one four so a little bit longer arms than uh jonathan taylor like something so okay. small you wouldn't realize but so i think that they are basically saying this is who we are translate think will translate to the nfl the best because of the reasons I said earlier about Jonathan Taylor, his pass catching ability was suspect at times. You know, he played behind a lead blocker most of the time. And while his broken tackle percentage was awesome, Zach Moss's was like way better. I that's what I interpret this as being. I still think Jonathan Taylor's better. I think part of this is a projection. They might be projecting a little too hard. Because Jonathan Taylor is also able to break a lot of tackles. Um, but that's what I think that they see. And I think Jonathan Taylor obviously has a more sexy play style. Like you watch it and you're you're in awe because he has these big breakaway runs. He's able to just run through dudes. And I think Zach Moss's play style is a lot more boring. Just kind of keep the game going. Keep a drive alive. You know, uh miss attack get missed tackles here and there and also his offensive line was nowhere near what wisconsin's is which you know whether you take that into consideration or not but i think that would be the argument and i don't agree with him being the sixth best i think he's higher than that i think okay. he's one of those running backs that comes into the league didn't have a sexy college season i mean college career so he's not as heavily looked at but also i'm not saying if zach moss goes to the to the wrong system, he will be absolutely terrible because, you know, if they don't utilize him in, you know, short down situations where he can use his elusiveness and they want him to just go out there and try to use his speed, which that's kind of a thing of the past. The NFL is smarter than just go beat him off the edge, you know. But I think he has a lot of potential. I still think Jonathan Taylor's a better running back. I do agree with you on that 100%. Mm -hmm. But – you know, you take in, like, for example, DeAndre Swift, he has, I agree with you, he has a lot of potential, especially as a pass catcher. J.K. Dobbins, freak athlete, freak vision. Clyde uh, Edwards-Hilaire, obviously great cat pass catching ability. And Cam Akers' physical profile is amazing. And Zach Moss doesn't really have, other than the broken tackles, one thing that you're like, this dude's the best at. He's more of a kind of checks all the boxes guy. So I, I don't necessarily disagree with you that he's like, these running backs are all great. I just there's something about watching Zach Moss that I really enjoyed watching. But yeah, that's, okay, that's my yeah. interpretation of their ranking. I could easily be way too low uh, on Moss, and that's for sure. Um, and I think you, you basically said it. it it's because. I think with the, the 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 five guys I have ranked ahead of him, there is something really specific that you can point to mm -hmm. that you know one or two you know traits that really just stand out and make it like um, you know ta Taylor's size size speed specimen, Dobbins' production, you know Swift is versatility, um, and with Moss, I don't I don't know that he has that really. Like there isn't like you said, uh, you, 
called him kind of a boring runner. And that's a, that's a good way to put it um, where he isn't necessarily somebody that has that one attribute. That's like, yes, this is really, you know, we really love uh, this aspect of his game. Um, as far as being an all around solid runner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, really, really good. And, and, you know, he's done it, what, three consecutive, um, you know, thousand yard seasons, uh, at least five and a half yards per carry, you know, double digit touchdowns every year. I mean, he's consistently productive. That's for sure. So, you know, that's, that's obviously got to count in his favor, of course. But, but like I said, I, the, the idea that he is better, like he isn't better than Jonathan Taylor at anything. Like there isn't one single thing that you're like, yeah, Moss is better. And I do want to bring up, so you had mentioned that um, Moss was the, what'd you say? He was the second or third highest broken tackle rate, according to PFF? Yeah. Okay. Who's number one? Do you happen to know who's number one on that list? I do not. Okay. Because I I don't have this in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I know this from last year. I think it's um, David Montgomery. Um, oh, that might be right. Okay, because that was I the know biggest. He's one of the biggest. He had one of the biggest broken tackle records that year specifically, and probably for career. But okay, and that's good because um, I'm pretty sure. Let's see, because he was the uh, Memphis, correct? David Montgomery. No, yeah, Iowa am I State. thinking? Thank you, Iowa State. Okay, Memphis um, was Henderson. Yes. That's another one too. Okay. So they're both really high uh, on that list. And again, I don't have this list in front of me, but they've got to be, Oh wait, I think I might've just found it. Anyways, whatever the number is, they're both really high on the list. Okay. But the point is this, and this is where this like, and again, I, I know PFF watches film. You know what I mean? It's not just, you know, typing numbers into a spreadsheet and then it spits out the name Zach Moss. And we have to put him at the top of every list because the computer said, you know, Zach Moss is the best. Like I get it. It's, it's a mix of everything. Um, and they have, you know, more data points than maybe anybody else does. So, you know, if they're, um, consistently being very accurate with their rankings and their projections, that, that makes sense to me. Um, and I value PFF like you do. I think it's a really valuable tool and it really, um, I think it helps to provide, you know, a lot of context to, um, a lot of players that we just don't have time, you know, can't sit around and watch film on every single, you know, running back from the 2020 class like you 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 know you got to get into the top eight nine guys whatever and figure it out and go from there but Mm -hmm. you know you know they are so it's good that you know they have the um uh the breath you know to to kind of take care of that so but um but like you know montgomery darrell henderson daryl henderson we you know we heard this stuff oh the tackle breaking is unbelievable right and then montgomery got to the nfl and he couldn't break a freaking tackle not one. Like, you're just like, what happened to this guy? And it's like, well, maybe breaking tackles in the Big 12 is a lot easier to do than doing it, you know, against NFL competition, you know? And maybe breaking tackles at Utah is, you know, against a bunch of ridiculous Pac-12, you know, teams that are just, you know, horrid. Um, so... Like, that's the thing that I would push back on, you know, like if, if, if PFF's like, yeah, but he's, he's elusive and he can break tackles better than it's like, okay, but what if he can't do that moving forward? Like this, we've seen this happen before, you know, and that's why I'm going to rely on, you know, the bigger, faster, stronger, more productive 
you know, Jonathan Taylor, like that, that's why I have, you know, Taylor ranked ahead of Moss. Um, and right. Of course. Exactly. So my computer spit out Jonathan Taylor's name, but Your my computer's, computer's broken, So yeah, definitely. But yeah. So anyways, I, I don't know. I, I, Moss is fine. He's a very, you know, if he ends up, we keep using this landing spot, but it really is one of the most premier landing spots in the NFL. You know, if, if Moss ends up with Tampa, like he's going, you know, that's going to change things. He's going to be, you know, maybe the first or second, you know, ranked running back. Like that's such a good spot. And he's definitely a great, you know, a good running back. So, you know, I don't have any issues with it. I just don't understand the whole, he's better than, you know, Jonathan Taylor. Like that to me is just insane. So, but yeah, that's all. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely understand your side on that entire right. situation. It's a he's a very polarizing guy. Um, who do you have next? Who do you have at how many? How many do you have ranked eight? So I ranked nine, and then there's kind of a sleeper guy at the end. We'll just quickly touch on. All right. Well, uh, let's try. How about these next? Two? Uh, we'll be done quick. Okay. Um, don't you worry. Yeah. All right. Who's your who's net? Who's seven? So number seven is AJ Dillon from Boston College, um, and this guy. What's that? Talk about a tank. Yeah, on six foot two forty seven, <laughs> he he ran a four five three forty, and a seven point one nine three cone. So, in off the charts, incredible athleticism, incredible athleticism. I believe. Let me make sure here. This. Too. I think he had a 41-inch vertical as well. Oh. Yeah, 41-inch vertical jump, which, I, I mean, that's, that's okay. incredible. So he basically, the um, his combine is essentially identical to Derrick Henry. Uh, they're within a pound of one another, and but Henry, I think, is 6'3", so he's a few inches taller. Um, but, uh, but basically, this guy, I mean... You know, six foot two forty seven ran a four five three. That's incredible. So, um, if if uh, if anybody listening to this, you know, heard the beginning and then they get to this point and they're saying, "But John, I thought you said that the combine wasn't, you know, shouldn't change how you view, you know, these players." It kind of sounds like AJ Dillon, you know, moved up on your list because of this four five three. You know, um. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, you know, you're right to kind of point that out. That's for sure. And I would, you know, not trying to sound hypocritical or anything like that. Um, but where, for me, where the combine really helps is a guy like this who played at Boston College where, you know, we just, he's not playing with anyone. Um, the level of competition is so different that it's hard to really get an assessment, you know, of a guy like this where, you know, he could turn in a really good season, 318 carries, uh 1685 yards that's 5.3 yards per carry 14 touchdowns he had 13 receptions which for him in that size that's pretty impressive too so but um you know like i i knew i liked him before and i knew he was good but to see this kind of athleticism from a guy that big um you know this is where the combine definitely does help with provide context with a player that like i said doesn't have um the competition, you know, he didn't play against guys where you could really sort of measure things um, evenly and equally across the board. So, oh, but across um, the board. yeah, exactly. Baby. Um, but yeah, so uh, I like this guy a lot. I mean, it, this is impressive. Again, landing spots going to really matter for, like you said, for, with all these guys, but, um, but Jesus, I, I mean, to this guy, 
you know, six foot two fifty to keep have him on the field with that kind of speed. Um, I mean, obviously, pass catching is going to be his weakness because he just, you know, barely did it and wasn't asked to do it a whole lot. But, um, but I mean, if that kind of thing ends up being, you know, even if he catches twenty five passes in the NFL next year, like if he's someone who a defense has to consider the fact that there's, a, you know, a screen coming or some kind of a, you know, whatever swing pass arrow route, like this is this is dangerous because this guy is impossible to get on the ground. So, um, yeah, just an absolute, you know, a monster. And then with that kind of speed and everything, really impressive. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad he, I'm glad for him. The combine went really well for him, and that's really cool to see. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, he'll end up in a spot with somebody that really um, – this guy's going to be fun to watch in the NFL. That's for sure. So, but yeah, AJ Dillon, number seven. Yeah. He's huge. That's I'm going to let you get to the next guy. Cause I was writing down what you said and you covered every single thing I wanted to cover with him, especially his, <laughs> his vertical jump was the one thing I really wanted to point out. Incredible. Yeah. So uh, number eight, I have Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. Um, and this guy, uh, this guy I really like too. So this is a really neat class. I think there's, there's like, this is the argument for not running backs don't matter, but like, you know, Jonathan Taylor is better than Keyshawn Vaughn. I think everyone on the planet agrees, but um, except for maybe Keyshawn Vaughn and his mama. But um, <laughs> but like, you know, this is the argument for if I wait and just, tra- you know, draft Vaughn in the third round, like maybe I just get really good production. You know, it's not Jonathan Taylor good, but, you know, maybe the difference isn't so, you know, um isn't so drastic that I really, you know, I don't need to have Jonathan Taylor on the roster, but, um, but yeah, Vaughn's great. So uh, five foot 10, 214 pounds, ran a four, five, one forty, which was great because we, this is a guy we thought was fast on tape. And then he really confirmed um, that as well. So, but um, yeah, as far as Vaughn goes, I mean, so Vanderbilt, so, you know, playing in the SEC, this is not somebody that, you know, we heard about all year long. He wasn't on a, obviously a very good program, um, you know, things like that. Vanderbilt, you know, uh, ups and downs to say the least. So, but, um, but yeah, like just, just a really, like, he's a baller. Like this guy, you know, he looks like an NFL running back, like, um, you know, just in vision, vision is his uh, best trait. That's the number one thing. And this is why he, A, made my list and B, why he's, you know, in the top 10, um, because like you said, you just can't teach this kind of stuff. And this guy has it for sure. Um, his ability to, you know, quick cuts and diagnose, um, you know, open holes when they're closed. Like he just, he looks, this is the guy that looks like he has eyes in the back of his head where you're like, how in the hell did he see, you know, there was no hole there and he somehow mm-hmm. found one. So really impressive. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, confirmed, uh, his, uh, speed at the, at the combine four five one is impressive. So, um, this is definitely somebody that uh, uh, I like a lot. So, yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn, number eight. Yeah, he's someone that I truthfully don't know a lot about. I, I've i watched some Vanderbilt tape because of – oh, I can't remember what his last name is now. He had such a bad combine that I completely just forgot about him. They're tight end. Um, mm. It's not Pinkney, I don't think, but uh, – you know, so I watched some Vanderbilt. He was someone that I just I didn't really watch, but I'll take your word for it that 5.3 yards after contact in 2018 and 2019 is tremendous. That I, I mean, you 
averaged 5.3 yards after contact at any level of football, and that's impressive as hell. Yeah. So, and uh, he, I didn't say, but uh, real quick. So Vaughn last year, 198 carries, 1,028 yards, 5.2 yards per carry, nine touchdowns, 28 receptions. So this is another guy where you're like, okay, this, you know, his team wanted to get him the ball in as many ways as possible. And he, you know, he's a pass catcher uh, with, you know, that kind of size. So 5'10", 215, if he plays at 220, you know, a real solid 220 with a four five one forty, and he's already a good pass. Wow. I mean, yeah, really, really impressive. These are the, um, I don't want to say small school cause they're in the sec, but these are the guys that kind of can come out of nowhere and you're like, Oh man, this, this is a really good, you know, like, uh, ending up on like, uh, Atlanta, that would be what a cool landing spot that would be. You know, uh, they obviously need a running back with, um, what's his name? Uh, not Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman, you know, breaking down a little bit and getting older. So, but um, yeah. And if somebody paired up with like somebody like Matt Ryan really, you know, could be really impressive. So yeah, I like this guy a lot for sure. Yeah. Who do you have? uh, Who else do you have on your list? So number nine, uh, last guy I have kind of ranked. And then, like I said, there's sort of a sleeper guy, but number nine is Eno Benjamin. Um, We talked about him on the last podcast a little with uh, my brother, Um, the, uh, you know, uh, Tommy and Kent State, they had to go out and open the season at uh, Arizona State um, last year. And um, so, you know, Benjamin had an okay game, just got over 100 yards uh, on his last carry. It was, what, 20, 22 for 102 in that game. So, but, uh, yeah, Benjamin, so he's 5'9", 207, ran a 45740 and a 6.973 cone. Um, and, like, Tommy said, you know, and he really helped me out with my evaluation on this one for sure, because this is definitely someone that I would have written off as, um, you know, the, the gadgety, uh, satellite running back. That's all he can ever be. Um, and I definitely think that his skill set lends more towards that for sure. I don't think that this is ever, you know, he's not Ezekiel Elliott, right? He's never going to get, you know, this guy's never going to have a 300 carry season in the NFL. Um, but you know, we thought his playing weight was going to be 195, which is what I think he was mostly at in college. And then he shows up at the combine and he's 207. And so now all of a sudden you've got a 457 guy who, you know, has a nice thick solid frame, um, is closer to that 210 pound threshold that is really important and is definitely, definitely um, a solid pass catcher to go along the fact that, you know, he's super speedy, uh, twitchy as hell. I mean, this is a weapon. Like this is a guy that, um, you know, may have, you know, he's going to have like the games where he has six, seven, eight touches, but two of them are just, you know, game breaking electric plays that change, you know, the game. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and as Tommy mentioned as well, uh, special teams too. this guy, I think he had like, it was like 30 some yards per kick return and like 20 some per punt last year. Like it really super, super impressive uh, numbers. So um, as Tommy mentioned, this is a guy who, you know, he wanted to be on the field and he always wants the ball in his hands. And every time he does, uh, he's doing something amazing with it. So he was, uh, let's see, 253 carries last year, 1,083 yards, 4.3 yards per carry, 10 touchdowns, 42 receptions. I mean, just, yeah, exactly. So 
really, like I said, just an absolute weapon all around. Somebody you could, you know, you might be able, you'll be able to split them out, uh, line them up in the slot, like just a nightmare. You know, technically he's a running back, but he's going to catch some passes in the NFL. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm glad, like I said, this last, the uh, last podcast conversation was really valuable because it was someone I might have accidentally written off and that would have been completely wrong. So, um, yeah, I'd say that, your brother uh, knows a little bit about him. Just a, <laughs> just a little though. Absolutely. And, uh, and a really good correction. Like, uh, you know, just like I said, having, you know, him talk about, uh, you know, because he, you know, he saw him and had to coach against him. That's, it's really important. Um, so yeah. Uh, Eno's number nine. And then the sleeper guy, uh, is James Robinson from Illinois state. Um, so this guy's five, nine, two nineteen. He ran a four, six, four, 40 and a 7.03 three cone. Um, so Illinois state, reps. what's that? 24 bench reps. Wow. Did he, a he 24? Wow. Excellent. Okay. Good. Even better. Yeah, um, hope hope sure. Yeah, really. So this is a, uh, uh, Illinois state is a FCS program. So, you know, he's not playing against, uh, FBS competition, obviously. So that's going to be the hardest part, uh, of his game to translate is what, what do we really know about him? If he's, you know, a lot of success, but running against, um, you know, some subpar, uh, schools and players. So let's see last year, 364 carries, which holy crap. So, Obviously, uh, his t- they're giving him the ball <laughs> a ton. Uh, 1,899 rushing yards, 18 touchdowns, added 16 catches. Um, so, you know, li- li- nice to see the reception numbers. It'd be great if it were a little bit more, but considering how often he carried the ball, it's uh, maybe there just wasn't <laughs> – they just ran out of plays. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, size-speed specimen as well, very impressive. Um you know, playing at 220 pounds, like he's, that's going to translate really well to the NFL. So, and I just think this is a guy that, um, you know, like vision wise and speed, um, just again, like a real natural runner. Like, um, I really surprised that he actually, that he did play at Illinois state because he, he's not like a small guy and he's not like super slow or anything. So I don't know how he didn't get any FBS or maybe he did. And he just really wanted to go to Illinois state, whatever. But, um, but yeah, this is a, this is a guy to keep your eye on for sure. Like uh landing spot, obviously again, to sound like a broken record is everything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely a dangerous guy and um, somebody that could really shine uh, given the right situation. He definitely has the tools for it. So I like him a lot. So yeah, James Robinson, definitely uh, keep him uh, in the back of your mind. Yeah. How the, the hell did uh, you come on to him? Uh, just, like, well, I mean, Tommy coached in the FCS for a while. So, um, you know, he was at Eastern Illinois for two years when, uh, like he said, when Jimmy Garoppolo was there. Um, so I kind of sort of kind of got into, you know, paying attention to some of these schools. Um, and then, um, you know, so you just sort of pay attention. I don't know. I just kind of every year sort of, you know, think about, you know, not, not disregarding these schools because there are some really good players that come out from time to time. Um, and then, you know, when you're like, if you're playing against, you know, North Dakota State and stuff like that, you're basically playing against an FBS school. Um, and, you know, they, uh, uh, playoff game last year, they lost, but they played against North Dakota State and he had a, he had a pretty good game. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so just, you know, somebody that kind of stood out towards the end of the year. And then as this draft process goes along, um, kind of just 
kept him in mind. But then the combine solidified it as well. This was a guy that a got the invite and B, you know, like, like I said, four, six, four and a 7.03 three cone was like, okay, this is, you know, this is good. You're providing context like AJ Dillon to a player that didn't play against competition that we can easily size up versus, you know, everybody else. And so, you know, that's where, again, the combine comes in really handy to uh, kind of solidify things that you think or believe to be true about a player. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, and then other two, there's a couple, if you look at other, you know, the um, draft network and uh, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper, um, they'll, they have, you'll see Robinson's name thrown around a little bit as kind of a, I don't want to say a trendy sleeper guy, but somebody definitely to pay attention to or, or not right off because of, you know, his, he went to Illinois state. So, but, uh, but yeah. So what did you think of really quick? Oh, one sec. Dak was just offered $33 million per year. Wow. Didn't accept it, didn't decline it apparently yet. Okay, so they're going over. $33 million. I would pay Dak $33 million a year. Quarterback. You got to have a quarterback. Got to have yeah. a quarterback. Uh, and here's the thing. You might not think Dak can't do it without players, Dak. Thinking Dak that there's – no, first of all oh, – for the first five seasons of a career, no quarterback has ever averaged more yards per attempt. Take that to the bank, Karen. Uh, no, he pushes so, the ball down the field. Yeah. So I wrote an article about that this this um, football season because I was tired of hearing that Dink and Dak thing because I mm-hmm. started to fall into the narrative. I was like, yeah, that's all he does. He sucks. But then I looked and I was like, oh, well, actually, he's he's quite good. Uh, it'll be yeah. interesting to see, though, if he can win consistently without a ton of talent. I mean, he has been blessed with a great offensive line, a great running back, now a great receiver, but it'll be interesting. I, too. I um, I love Michael Gallup. Like, yeah, I, but he did, he, wasn't he pretty injured last year? I don't think he played as much as – no, Cooper was injured for sure. Cooper had the – right before the season started, the Cooper showed up with that. Like yes, and up. they were calling it like plantar fasciitis or whatever, and – but it ended up being something that was pretty manageable. That's for sure. Um, Gallup did miss like a game or two. Um, yeah, I'm but looking up his game logs right now. Bottom line, like Gallup is fantastic, and yeah, like, he's he's definitely more of a gunner. But you got to have those kind of guys. Like, he's, he's a not perfect t- complement. Like oh, the yeah. the Cooper and, and Gallup are are just you couldn't ask for two guys that are more complementary to be on the same roster. It's really really good dynamic. Gallup pretty much played. Pretty much played every game except for the last two. So I was completely wrong on that. But there were games where he didn't get the ball thrown to him a lot. There were a couple games where he only had four targets, three targets. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he had gone out or just wasn't a factor in those games. Maybe that's where I was thinking. But I yeah. also I also I know Cooper did miss a handful of games with that. Oh, he at least was questionable for a lot of games. I think he ended up maybe missing around four. Okay, Not that makes sense. Not for sure, but yeah, Gallup was uh, in my uh, one of the fantasy leagues I'm in every year. Is uh, my brother runs one that's 16 teams, um, and it's a really tough draft, obviously with 16. So, but uh, yeah, Gallup was my uh, third receiver. So uh, I had Godwin, DJ Moore, and Michael Gallup, and I mean, basically every game that he was healthy. I mean, yes, like you said, he had a couple where you know four or three targets and stuff like that. But but those three, I mean, that. I won the championship and they put me 
like that he helped put me over the top like it was oh, that yeah. was having him was incredible so and uh guess who my quarterback was on that fantasy team give me a afc or nfc nfc okay he's um, been in the news recently because uh of his team and what's he what Jimmy what G? his future uh nope what his what his future's up in the air and the nfc is futures up in the air mm-hmm we don't know what to do with this guy. Oh do they my keep God, Jameis Winston. Famous Jameis Winston. Oh so, kids, if you're listening out there, and I know that you are, uh, in a one quarterback league, quarterback doesn't matter. Mm-mm. It doesn't matter. Just take if you have Chris Carson and you have Chris Godwin and DJ Moore and Michael Gallup and uh, George Kittle on a 16 team uh, fantasy you will win. league. You can have Jameis Winston throwing 30 interceptions, and you can win. So quarterback doesn't matter. No, so and neither does running back. So no positions matter in football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> quarterback but doesn't hope- matter in fantasy. Running back doesn't matter in real football. How about it sure that? does. It sure matters in fantasy, that's for sure. Yeah, it does. It's kind of funny how that works out. Um, Man, that's it for the running backs. I do want to throw out Antonio Gibson, Kentucky. Yes. Yes. Duke Johnson 2.0. That's all I'm going to say. I very, yeah. very much like Duke Johnson. This, um, no, this really, this class is super, super impressive. Um, so th- it's deep. There are a lot of guys that could end up uh, making NFL rosters and being pretty solid contributors for quite some time. Um, Gibson, uh, Lynn, Lynn Bowden too. Uh, like th- this guy, that's really impressive. So, I mean, he, Technically a wide receiver, had to play quarterback last year because he he played it in his past and they were just completely injured at the position and stuff. So, you know, this is definitely a guy that, um, you know, it, gadgety and everything, but, you know, with the right coach, like th- this, this guy's going to be, he would be a nightmare um, to have to line up against and try to figure out what the hell, you know, the offense is going to do. It's kind of like, kind of like Tavon Austin, but like, but good at good. football. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. Um, yeah, Gibson, you mentioned that's another one. Uh, and then what, who's the other one? Josh Kelly, uh, is another one. Um, what's it called from UCLA? Hang on. Darius Anderson too, from TCU. He's a big boy, big boy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, what's his name? Kelly's 5'11", 214. So there's definitely, there's, like I said, this is a really nice class, uh, really deep and, um, you know, at the top, like I like, I love Taylor, and I don't see any difference between. I don't think he's necessarily Ezekiel Elliott or something like that, or even Saquon Barkley. Um, but I don't think he's very far off either. And I, I just, I'm super impressed. Um, we did. It would be terrible not to mention this on the Running Back podcast, and you did mention his drops. Um, his and this ties into that. His fumbling is completely bizarre. Like. That's for me the biggest knock on Taylor and the thing that scares the crap out of me. Um, like his fumble percentage is like 1.6 or 1.7, which is abysmal. Like the, the percentage of his touches that end up in a fumble, um, anything around 1% is really concerning. And he is just so I don't know, like that, that clearly the way he's holding the ball or there's some kind of an issue that you know needs to be corrected, but my, it absolutely needs to be corrected. And it's something that. Like I said, if we skipped, if we ran this whole podcast and didn't mention that, that would be uh, a real, 
a short-sighted uh, error on our part. So yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but like I said, despite that, I have him at number one. So, um, but yeah, this was fun. Uh, running backs are obviously interesting, polarizing. Um, you know, always a good conversation. Um, you know, it, it, even despite the fact that they you know don't matter, quote unquote. Um, you know, if you're you're a Browns fan and when they drafted Nick Chubb, you're like, oh yes, this is awesome. Like, it, you know, it's it's always exciting when you get you know you your team drafts the rookie running back. Um, you know, wherever it is, like, it's a fun thing to have happen. Um, fantasy football, you know, it's this, this kind of stuff super matters. Like I'm in one real deep dynasty league and it's interesting to start to think about, you know, some of these guys and where they're going to land. And, um, you know, the, I have the third pick in the draft coming up. So I'm curious as to, you know, it's a two quarterback league. So it's like, well, Burrow will probably go, but then yeah, I've do I have a shot at Taylor? I'm like, oh, I've, that, that'd be so fun. Me and my dad co-run he's been in it for 10 years now a dynasty league and oh, nice. uh, so i'm not going to give away a lot i don't know if any of them listen to this but definitely going after jonathan taylor um if it i i, I don't want to wait until the draft i'm probably going to put him up it's an auction so it's a oh cool five round auction someone puts up a player for auction you know I last year threw up DK Metcalf for one dollar, got him. Threw oh up AJ Brown for a dollar, got oh him. Oh my god! I ended up trading AJ Brown though, but I got Jesus. um, I don't remember who I got. I got Deshaun Watson for five dollars. Got Tom Brady for twelve. Yeah, so we were cooking. Uh, our team hit a rough patch though. Deshaun Watson played pretty poorly for like two weeks. Uh, and Derrick Henry played poorly at the same time. Yeah, the, the whole two freaking the weeks that they played bad the entire season. So, yeah, and then DK Metcalf was kind of game to game. He had a he had a lot of almost no score games, and then DJ Moore was our other receiver. And nice. our biggest problem is we don't have a second running back. We had, wow. we were floating around with we had Tevin Coleman, and then we traded Tevin Coleman for. Uh, I cannot. I can't remember off the top of my head because Tevin Coleman wasn't getting touches. Then he had a breakout game again. Could have held him and traded him for more. Yada yada. But right. I don't know. We have. I have to choose if I want to keep OJ Howard now because they don't know how to use him. We have Hunter Henry. I don't know. We have a lot of a lot of talent, but we lack a second running back. So Jonathan Taylor is. He's up there. He's we will get Jonathan Taylor, and if he goes to the Chiefs, I will spend absurd amounts of money on him. Yeah, absurd. Yeah, it's a good landing spot. If he goes to sure. the Chiefs in a PPR league, and they able to use him in a passing situation. <laughs> yep, mm. incredible. But yeah, incredible. that's yeah, that's all I got for running backs. We yeah, man, we'll good definitely, to go. Well, we this is a little teaser for you guys we do have a fantasy football podcast and um heavily devoted fantasy football section of across the board led by paul bacara bacara sorry paul um you can find him at paul underscore ryan 15 on twitter he's going to be starting a podcast but john and i are still going to cover fantasy too just like we did last year during football but John, maybe we can, you know, talk about dynasty leagues and rookie drafts and stuff like that on a podcast after the draft for sure. Yeah, um, we should definitely we should get Paul on and uh, sometime after the draft, uh, talk about some of these landing spots and then uh, 
boost come up with a um you know like a top 12 ranking you know so you kind of basically a first round rookie draft guide um, for sure and then we can yeah do that to kind of i would love to. People to his podcast and stuff but all right i uh i don't i don't really have anything to add i usually have something to add but well just uh you know across the board uh sports.net is where you can find all our writing um i'm going to this weekend i'm going to post um uh we've been doing these uh, positional prospect ranking uh podcasts so i'm going to post the accompanying um articles so that people have a visual you know you can go look and see what how did we rank our offensive line our linebackers quarterbacks all that kind of stuff so um hopefully try to get uh, at least a few of the positions up uh this weekend and um yeah you can follow me uh on twitter at cleveland spider that's spider with a y s-p-y-d-e-r you can so, find um, me at Chandler Adams with two S's because I'm a snake, slithery snake. True, true story. <laughs> All right, everyone. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, and make sure you download and subscribe. Yep, be good, everybody.